And time to check in with uh, Post, well, Post Media columnist Mark Bonakoski joining us from Ottawa. Mark, good morning. It's good to have you back on the program. Thank you, Sterling. Good to hear your voice. Well, and, and likewise, you crusty old guy, you've had a couple of very interesting columns this week, and the most recent one is Vice Admiral Mark Norman and the sinking of HMCS Trudeau. Uh, this is a, a story, Mark, that really is still simmering on the back burner for most Canadians as we've been preoccupied with the SNC-Lavalin business, but really it's chapter two of a very similar story, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between the two of them. Uh, uh, the, the, the crux of the of the, the matter regarding Chief <coughs> Vice Admiral Norman is that, excuse my voice, I've got a a bit of a <coughs> bug this morning. Um, is that the uh, the the up the, the, the prosecution and the Norman thing is trying his best to keep uh, what should be discovery evidence from the from the defense counsel. It's being uh, uh, the PMO, Prime Minister Trudeau's office, uh, refusing to release uh, uh, a lot of documents, including right. uh, an unredacted sixty-page uh, uh, memo that uh, that uh, former ch- uh, clerk of the Privy Council Michael Wernick wrote to Trudeau regarding the Norman case—a sixty-page memo. Now, I don't know if British Columbians remember, but Briti- but. Uh, Vice Admiral Norman, uh, second in command of the Canadian military, right. uh, was charged with leaking secrets of his $700 million shipbuilding contract to Davies Shipbuilding in Quebec, uh, sort of uh, cutting the legs out from its rival in Halifax, uh, which is uh, Irving uh, Shipbuilding. Right. And, and, and Irving, Ir- Irving's big biggest cheerleader and long-serving uh, sort of lapdog in the government has been Scott Bryson, who conveniently resigned from the government about uh, six months ago now at least, and has a great job with one of the banks and so on, and, and just stepped aside, hopefully he thought, into the shadows permanently. We're going to see and hear a lot from Scott Bryson in the weeks and months ahead, uh, primarily because the lead counsel for Admiral Norman is Marie Heinen from Toronto, who well, we would all remember as being the uh, the person who got John Gomeshi uh, acquitted in that uh, notorious case a couple of years ago. She's a wonderful lawyer, very, very detail-oriented and very determined, and up against an equally determined prime minister and his minions, Mark, who aren't in the least bit interested in us knowing any more than we already don't. No, and... and Right now, it's in its preliminary stages, so it, it is getting really bogged down. I mean, it's a slow, slow-moving uh, process. Sure. Uh, and uh, the judge still has to determine, uh, Justice Heather Perkins McVeigh, whether there's enough evidence presented to warrant a trial. Sure. Um, the way that the Marie Hennon's working right now, I'm I'm betting that he'll be not sent to trial because of the government's unwillingness to to release enough information that will provide uh, Norman with a good defense. Right. Uh, now, I, I don't know. I can't prejudge this, but uh, if, if, I hope that doesn't happen, only because uh, I, <clears throat> I'm not a great supporter of the Trudeau government. We've uh, noticed in I'm the newspapers, Irmark. I'm sorry? I, we've noticed that in the newspapers. Yes. <laughs> So I'm I'm kind of because if it goes to trial, it'll happen smack dab in the middle of the election. Of course, 
And just like uh, the, the trial of the old Duff uh, in, in Ottawa was not responsible t- totally for the uh, unseating of, of the Harper government, it sure played a role. Absolutely. And of course, Stephen Harper would be the very first to tell you the last thing you need when you're taking your party into a national election is an embarrassing, uncomfortable trial relating to your mismanagement of a certain file. And and Absolutely. you're right. The Duff didn't sink Harper, but he didn't help his cause one little bit. Need to move on because we only got a few minutes and I want your take on, on uh, and, and flesh this out for us because I read the headline a few minutes ago to our Vancouver listeners. Jason Kenney now number five in Justin Trudeau's mm. nightmares. That because he's on a list of names that includes, among others, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan and uh, your province of Ontario's Doug Ford. Uh, Jason Kenney now number five. Flesh that one out for us in terms of Trudeau's nightmares, Mark. Well, there, I mean, right now the uh, Saskatchewan and, and, and Ontario have the, uh, the feds in court over, yes. the carbon, over the Trudeau carbon tax. Uh, out in British Columbia, you don't have that problem because you put one in force a long time ago. Right. Uh, but in Ontario, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and New Brunswick, they don't have a carbon tax plan. And because they don't have a carbon tax plan, they were the federal government under Trudeau has forced one upon them. Uh, and it's seen uh, gas prices jump, uh, not nearly the way that the cost of the, uh, they are in British Columbia, yeah. but certainly are higher than anybody wanted here in Ontario, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, or New Brunswick. So they're funding it. So we got five premiers are dead opposed to this imposition. Uh, Kenny says that he's going to, uh, his first order of business is to toss out the, the uh, carbon plan. That right that uh, Notley brought in. Uh, Ford's already done so with uh, the uh, Kathleen Wynne one. Uh, and the, the other three provinces haven't had one and, and are determined not to have one. So the, the upshot of all of this, of course, is uh, more court cases uh, and and more negative publicity when Trudeau is really, I think, uh, counting very heavily on the climate card as one of his big uh, pluses going into this fall's election mm-hmm. in October. And, and uh, so this is running very, very strongly counter to his, I think, ace in his hand, or at least I'm, I'm sure he thinks of climate change as his ace card. I think you're right. But, you know, he's kissed off already. He's kissed off Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Not that they have the kind of control of, of seats that, that they have in Quebec, sure. and Ontario, and B.C., but they, they play a role. Uh, I mean, when everybody was talking about the, the alleged 9,000 jobs at SNC-Lavalin being mm-hmm. lost, 173,000 jobs are lost in the Alberta oil sector alone, uh, and uh, Trudeau did, uh, didn't uh, say a word about it, just let it happen. So, uh, I mean, it's going to be a real vicious election, I think, coming up. And, and this talk of, of Trudeau, is, he, that he's going to take the high road, has already shown that he's not. Well, of course. And, and uh, it was pretty nasty business next door in Alberta these uh, past uh, 28 days or so. It was a bit of a mud-slinging fest, wasn't it? And I don't see the feds being anything but worse than that. No, it's true. And, and you know, you, you didn't hear Jason Kenney mention Notley without putting it, uh, Trudeau's name right next to it. Right. Uh, so uh, we know where the, uh, 
the, the, the lines are drawn in the sand. It's going to be a pretty uh, pretty ugly event. So, Mr. Bonikowski, I'm very curious about your, your thoughts about Andrew Scheer. Uh, going forward, he is the one who stands to benefit the most from the blunders of uh, Trudeau and company. Uh, he's uh, handled, I thought he handled the, uh, the Trudeau threat to sue quite well. Finally, a chance to sit down and put him under, under oath in, a, in an environment he cannot control. Come on, bring it on. That's the kind of combative response a lot of Canadians have been waiting for. And for many, it was the very first time he's showed any kind of, well, for lack of a better word, backbone. Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely true. I mean, I'm, I was waiting for, there's so many opportunities for Shearer to at least, uh, it, but here's the man who can't look angry. He doesn't know how to look angry. I know, I know. Uh, he has that little uh, smirk smile. He can't seem to dislodge from his face. Uh, he's very uh, not prone to, to uh, raising his voice and, and, and using the uh, intonations well. Um, you know, we, uh, I, I was a great fan of Lisa Raitt because I worked with her for a number of months when, uh, the, uh, during the election. Mm-hmm. And uh, but her, her French isn't good enough, but she's a very strong. I, I think Sears start to find his legs now. You know, it's about time, and there's still lots of time before the election for him to prove himself uh, as worthy. And I think he will. Interesting stuff. By the way, one final thought, and back to Jason Kenney, now number five in the nightmare list of Justin Trudeau. In his uh, acceptance speech the other night, Mr. Kenney promised to use the research of Vivian Krauss and others who have done a lot of incredible homework over the years following the money behind the eco-protesters anti-pipeline crowd. Keep that oil in the ground. Keep Alberta landlocked. Uh, there's a lot of American money behind that. Uh, Vivian Krauss has spent many years uh, doing diligent homework. And Mr. Kenny has finally said, and for the first time for a national figure ever in Canada on a national stage, said, look, the next time you start lying about us, we're going to come back at you with the truth and we're going to come back and fight hard. Never heard that before. No, and it's about time because, you know, they have unlimited amounts of money coming from the states, the Rockefeller Foundation, Soros, Tides, uh, all, all, and just the most recently, uh, the, the, the Rockefeller Foundation uh, sponsored 10 anti-oil uh, pipeline groups in Canada uh, to, to, with enough money that they could keep them going for a lengthy period of time. Mm-hmm. So it's all coming from the states. It's all interference. They want us landlocked because they know, for one thing, uh, that, that the oil that we have has to go sell to the states at a cheap price. Uh, so there's a double there's a double whammy on this. Absolutely. Well, lots to write about. It's certainly not going to be boring this summer, Mark Bonacoski. Uh, I look I forward. Apologize for the voice. Oh, Sorry. that's okay. You sound pretty much like you always do, <laughs> and it's great to hear you on the program again. Thanks for this. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you, Shirley. And we're joined on the line from Ontario by Jerry Nichols, who is a columnist with the Hill Times and well-known political television panelist and commentator, uh, and he's a consultant, of course, to both American and Canadian political campaigns. Jerry, good to talk to you again. It's been a while. 
It has been a while, Sterling. Happy Easter. Well, the same to you, sir. You wrote a column the other day that was kind of intriguing because it's not like you to spend much time on the Green Party, but you spend a lot of time talking about how Elizabeth May uh, has an opportunity now to put the interests of her party first. But you say if she's going to accomplish that convincingly, she needs to both end her friendship with the Liberals and her war with the Conservatives. Why? Well, you know, it's a funny thing about Elizabeth May that uh, throughout her career, um, she's shown a, shown a real affinity towards the Liberal Party. Yes. And what I argue in, in, in the column is that sometimes she seems to put the interests of the Liberal Party ahead of her own Green Party's interests. For instance, in the 2008 election, she didn't run a candidate against then-Liberal leader Stefan Dion. Right. And she, and she basically told all great, uh, people to vote for whoever had the best chance of beating the Conservatives, even if that meant not voting for a Green Party candidate. So I thought, you know, as sort of a political person, I thought that was kind of a weird thing for, for the leader of a party to do. And I think it was because she just liked the liberals a lot, and she hated the conservatives a lot. Right. Um, but the situation right now is she sort of has a really rare opportunity, I think, for the Green Party to make some gains in the next federal election. Why? Because according to the polls, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is bleeding support. Yes. And he's bleeding support to other progressive parties i.e. the New Democrats and the Green Party. So I think this is an opportunity for, for May to sort of go after Trudeau, to go after him instead of Andrew Scheer, and say, Trudeau is not a real environmentalist, he's not a real progressive, vote for the Green Party. Um, I'm not sure she can do that. I'm not sure she can put aside her sort of a, uh, anger or uh, enmity against the conservatives and sort of say, uh, you know, and, not, and sort of resist the impulse of the temptation to go after the conservatives. Um, but I think if she did so, I think if she sort of zeroed in on the liberals, she could make some gains. Interesting stuff, because going after the conservatives would involve the conservatives having a platform position, and they don't yet. So that would be basically spinning her wheels until they do come up with something that they're going to take to the voters in October. What do you think about the green uh, chances of winning provincially in PEI, and might that impact the greens' profile nationally? Well, I, I think it would. I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Sometimes, you know, polls can be deceiving, especially for the Green Party, because a lot of people will say they're going to vote for the Green Party, but they end up not doing so because the party seems to lack sort of the ground game to get people out to vote. Right. It's not exactly, a, you know, a very powerful party like the Liberals or the Conservatives or even the Democrats. So, you know, that, you know, keep that in mind. But if, if the Greens do some kind of, you know, do have some kind of great result in PEI, it will create the sense of momentum for the, for the Greens. Exactly. One of, my, one of my maxims is people like to be on a moving train. In other words, they like to be seen as part of a movement that's heading in the right direction. And if, you know, if the Green Party, if Elizabeth May can say, hey, you know what, uh, we're doing well in the polls, we did really well in PEI, um, you know, people are getting disillusioned with Justin Trudeau. If you're an environmentalist, if you're a progressive, we're the place for you. We're a new sort of approach to politics. You know, we're, we're not like the other parties. You know, vote for us. I think that could be a real, a real strategic message that May can sort of bring to the table in the next federal election. Yeah, good point. But Jerry, I, I think you've, you've sort of alluded it to a, a few moments ago. I voted green exactly once in my lifetime, and I, I did so many years ago now, as a protest. The local candidates from all parties were losers, and I couldn't really <laughs> park, I couldn't park my vote with any of them in good conscience, right. and yet I couldn't not vote. I can't not vote. That's not the way I was raised. So I went out and voted green. And, and 
and just because, you know, uh, this is this is how I register my protest. This is a good good while ago now. But the problem with the Greens, uh, in, as, as I see it, is that they really seem to be singing still from a one-song sheet. And they don't have much of a platform that looks at the bigger picture and how they would manage the country if they were given the opportunity. And until they get to that level with a lot of voters, people are going to go, you know, it's, it's, you know they, they mean well. But they need to they need to sort of step back and, and get a bigger uh, get a grasp on the big picture. Well, that, that's a good point, Sterling. But I would also point out that for a lot of people, um, the vote is not really for a party. It's against a party. Good point. That's why um, I voted green. Right. It's, it's what I call rejection is voting. And I think what we're going to see in the next election. Uh, first of all, I think it's going to be real nasty. I think we're going to see uh, Trudeau, you know, you know, Care Bear Trudeau's gone. Mm-hmm. Terminator Trudeau's in. Um, he's going to go after. He's going to go after Sheer. He's going to say he's a fascist, all right. You know, white supremacist, whatever. Right. He's going to throw everything at the, but the kitchen sink at him. I think Sheer's going to respond in kind against Trudeau. So you're going to see the real ugly, sort of ugly attacks going on. This again gives May and the Green Party an opportunity to say, if you're tired of this same old mud singing that the mainstream parties are doing, we're different. We're positive. We're standing up for the environment. Now you're right. A lot of people will say, well, what's your standing? You know, X, Y, or Z. Exactly. Right. What else do you but, stand for? Right, but I think for, for, for uh, there might be sort of a critical mass of voters out there who won't care about that. Sure. They just don't like anybody. Yeah. Uh, and now and they, might, they, they might park their vote, for, or they might not vote, probably more likely, but they, some of them, enough of them might park their vote for, for the Green, and all, all May has to do is show that she's gaining momentum and that she's, she's doing better, and this would help her party's cause. Interesting, because last time around, uh, Care Bear Trudeau, as you refer to him, uh, attracted a lot of voters, a lot of younger voters, many of whom in the past uh, th- four years have seen, well, the other side, the non-Care Bear side of uh, Trudeau, uh, and are become quite disillusioned. Uh, and uh, it, they may either vote green, Jerry, or as you suggest, they may do what they did in the past, which is take a flying pass on the whole process and stay home. That's right. I think I think apathy is a problem, and I think uh, any sort of sense of disillusionment with Trudeau will say, "Hey, you know what? We thought this guy was different. Yeah. It just shows they're all the same, and 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 we're we're just going to turn off the system." I think this is a challenge for the Greens. I think this is a challenge for the New Democrats. It's a challenge, perhaps even for the Conservatives, to say, "No, no, no. Uh, you know, even though Trudeau's not the guy, we are. We we are going to be doing things differently." Uh, I'm not sure if they'll be able to make that case. Apathy is a hard thing to turn around. Sure is. And, and it's, you know, it's hard when somebody's made a decision not to vote, it's hard to get them to change their mind. Uh, Trudeau managed, to, you know, in, in 2015, he had this charisma, he had this idealism, he had this enthusiasm, he had a lot of good media attention. You know, that, that seemed to create this wave that you, that you talked about. But those ingredients aren't there anymore. So yes. it's going to be a little more difficult to decide, you know, what will happen in the, in the next election. 714 on this Easter weekend Saturday morning. I'm in conversation with political commentator and writer Jerry Nichols in Oakville, Ontario. Jerry, the only party that we haven't actually talked about is one whose leader is in British Columbia today uh, over in Victoria. Jagmeet Singh of the NDP is going to be pitching for votes in Victoria, which is kind of a green spot in British Columbia. As a matter of fact, provincially, they they have a green MLA. So uh, you're talking about Elizabeth May and advancing her 
cause nationally. Where does the NDP fit in all of this? They used to be the default automatic. Well, I can't, can't vote for the liberals anymore. Couldn't possibly cross over to the conservatives. So by default, I get that my vote goes to the NDP. They don't seem to be in that position this time around. Yeah, if I'm Jagmeet Singh and, and, or an NDP strategist, I'm a little worried about the Green Party uh, being on my flank and, and perhaps stealing uh, thunder. And I think the, the, the problem here is, 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 is Jagmeet Singh himself. He's not really done a good job in sort of gaining traction with Canadian voters. He's not really gotten out there and sold himself. You know, a lot of people still don't know who he is. Um, probably, you know, they, they, they probably know more about Elizabeth May just because she's been around a long time. True. And the, and the Green Party, the advantage the Green Party has is its name. It's Green Party. Mm-hmm. And anybody who likes the environmentalists say, hey, I like them. I mean, it'd be like having a, you know, a, a party called the Healthcare Party, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they like the name. Um, so that gives her a little bit of an advantage. So I think Singh and the NDP really have to take that seriously, and they have to figure out how they're going to diffuse support uh, for the Greens, because it's going to be a turf war on the left. And one of the advantages that Andrew Scheer has is he's pretty much got the right-wing base all to himself. That's true. Yes, there's, Ma- there's Maxime Bernier sort of on the fringes, but his, his, his candle seems to be sort of extinguished of late. So, so Scheer has got this sort of conservative base sewn up, the right-wing base. Left-wing base is being torn apart. We don't know where it's going to go. So it's going to be interesting to see how Trudeau and Singh and May sort of scramble around and try to convince you know, their own bases to stay loyal to them. Almost out of time. Very quickly, if you can, you talked about how nasty it's going to be. We just saw a, pre- a preview of that in Alberta with a- allegations of white supremacists and all this stuff not sticking to James Kenny or to uh, Jason Kenny as as well as uh, Notley had thought they they might. Uh, if this mudslinging gets even uglier at the federal level, might the conservatives or might the liberals not learn something from mudslinging, not sticking to people at, at the national level? Well, I don't think they they have a choice. I don't think they have any other card to play. Okay. Um, if you're going into because Trudeau's whole bit was he was a he was a fun guy, you know he was a, he was the sunny ways. Guy. That yeah that that was his whole thing. Um, if he doesn't have that anymore, I mean he was kind of a one trick pony. If he doesn't have that anymore, he, he he doesn't have much else to lean on. He's like, you know he's got the carbon tax, but I don't think that's very popular. If I was running a campaign, I wouldn't want to say, "Hey, vote for us because we're going to raise taxes." <laughs> that's not exactly a winning formula. So I think the only thing he can do, and I think this is largely about mobilizing his own base, is to say, "Look, you may have problems with me. You may think I'm, 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 I've done some things which are wrong, but you know what? I'm better than the other guy. As much as you don't like me, the other guy is worse." And, and that's, the, that's sort of the basics of what we call negative ad campaigns or, or mudslinging. It's to say, you know what, hold your nose and vote for me because the, the alternative is even worse. And I think that's the only thing Trudeau can do right now. If he can't build himself up, he's got to knock sheer down. Jerry, thanks for this. Always a pleasure. By the way, just for your own information, the price of gas this morning in Vancouver, $1.70.9 a litre. Got to love those carbon taxes. Good luck with that, Trudeau. Yeah, right. Thanks, Jerry. Now, we in the Vancouver area, of course, do not have a team in the NHL playoffs, but we have the very good fortune to have our Vancouver Giants advancing into yet another round of playoff action in the WHL, the dub. And joining us from the Dub Network is writer Stephen Hocko, uh, who's uh, in Surrey this morning. Stephen, good morning to you. 
Morning. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you with us. Uh, let's talk about those Vancouver Giants out there at the Langley Event Center. Uh, this is uh, they won last night. They beat the uh, Spokane Chiefs four to one. They lead this series one game to nothing. This is after sweeping the Victoria Royals in the first round, right, Stephen? Yeah, correct. They they played a quite a good game last night, and the the fans were were, were bumping. There was just over forty nine hundred, which I believe is. A sellout for hockey. There. You bet, yeah. Um, but yeah, they've been. It's been. It's been a joy to watch. They've been nothing but great the, for the last three rounds of uh, hockey. So now, what level of the playoffs? If they were to win this round, and we certainly are crossing our fingers and hope they do, what does where does that leave them, Stephen? How many more rounds do do they have to go? Um, if they win this round, the next round is the WHL final, where they'll take on either Edmonton or Prince Albert. And then after that, the, it'll be the Memorial Cup in Halifax. That's right. So the WHA final is about representing the dub at the Memorial Cup, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So tell us a little bit about this dub network. You and uh, the, this program's producer, Ben Dooley, are contributors to the dub network. But I did a little homework and found out that uh, the home base of this uh, fan site for fans of the WHL appears to be Red Deer, Alberta, home of the Rebels. Is that the case? Yeah, one of the co-founders, Paul Figler, he's from Red Deer. And then we have another co-founder, his name is Jesse Phillips. He's based out of Kamloops. Um, yeah, I've been I've been with the site for I would say about four or five months now. It's been it's been a great experience. I've been able to to get into the media scrums and everything, and it's been more than I could ask for. I had a chance to talk to uh, some of the Giants people recently about the big move from the, the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver out to Highway One to the Langley Event Center. A lot of uh, s- speculation when they first made that move, Stephen. That oh boy, these guys are just going to fall off the radar. Nobody's going to want to drive from East Van all the way out to Langley, like it's what Calgary. Uh, anyway, there was that kind of chatter going on. But as you point out last night. It was an absolute sellout crowd. You'd be darn lucky to find a ticket for tonight's game as well. So how has the move, now that we've had a couple of seasons, how's it worked out for the team? I think it's worked out wonderful for the team. It, it's, it's, a, it's a lot smaller rink than the Pacific Coliseum, so it makes a more intimate atmosphere than it, than it has been at the last few years in the Coliseum. Um, I, think, I think the move has been nothing but great. It, it brings a lot more families out in the area, but... Like it, it's all dep- it all depends on who you ask. If you ask somebody from Burnaby or Vancouver, they wouldn't be happy with it because they have to make the drive. But I personally, I think it's been a great move for the Giants. It it gives them a great atmosphere, especially in these playoffs that they just didn't have for the last few years at the Pacific Coliseum. Well, that's true, and and I and you're right about the intimacy. I mean, it's a smaller venue to be sure, but you know, a full house makes a big difference no matter what capacity it is. If that place is full, all the seats are full, and everybody in those seats is kind of pumping out the energy, there's nothing but good that's going to happen for the home team in, in front of that sort of crowd. Yeah, exactly. Last night it was last night was the biggest crowd they've had at the LEC since they moved there, and it was crazy loud. It was it was awesome to be a part of it. It's just it's just going to get better as they go forward in the playoffs. Now, we've got the NHL draft coming up, and I'm sure you've got the rinkside seats for that one already, Stephen. But uh, talk to us a little bit about this guy, Bowen Byram, the Vancouver Giants' uh, likely top pick uh, in the draft here in Vancouver this summer. Is that an accurate statement, first of all? 
Very accurate. He was just um, the the central rankings were just released before the draft, and he was ranked number two for North American skaters. Okay, um, just behind uh, Jack Hughes, who's projected to go number one. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's been he's been a treat to watch all season. He's so composed with the puck. He he has a bit of flash to his game as a defenseman, which is great to see. But but that doesn't take away from the from his defensive side either. He's he's great on both ends of the rink, and he's had. You see Byram jerseys all over the LEC, and it's not by any mistake. He's he could possibly be the best giant in the last decade or so, and it's just been a treat to watch. Well, you know, it's I uh, was uh, was down at a Giants game at the Coliseum a few years ago when they had Milan Lucic back. They had that Ring of Honor thing going on, and former Giants who have gone on to careers in the NHL, like Brendan Gallagher in Montreal, and, and they do. Uh, you know, we we keep forgetting that the, the the popularity of these. WHL teams and OHL teams and other parts of, of the country, these are the stars of tomorrow. And in many cases, a lot of those stars come right out of Vancouver. And Lucic night was, was a, a good example. Again, this is a few years ago, but um, the place was packed. And he was deeply touched. He didn't expect it. And I, I, would, I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, Byron's name's going to be up there pretty soon. It's funny that you mentioned that. Um, Bowen, Lucic Bowen. And- I'm sorry, Bowen, not Byron. Bowen. Oh, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because Lucic and Brennan Gallagher, they were both at the game last night, actually. And Is that they had right? Him on, yeah, they had him on the big screen, and everybody went nuts for him. It was awesome. But, yeah, I, I could definitely see Bowen having his name up in the up on that uh, wall of honor there. And, he's yeah, he's just been so fun to watch, and it's it's only a matter of time before they put him up there, I, I would say. So what do you think of the Vancouver Giants' chances of taking out the the Spokane Chiefs and moving on to that WHL final? Stephen, uh, we've got one game under our belt. The second game goes tonight in Langley. Then I assume the series moves to Spokane. But what do you? how do you like the Giants' chances here? Um, I, I like their chances. It's not going to be an easy series by any chance. Uh, Spokane just made the Everett Silvertips look like a not-so-good team last round. and But they were they were the second best team in the western conference behind the giants right. so it's not going to be an easy series by any chance but i still think they have a a great opportunity to win especially after watching last night they played a great game last night they 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 shut down the best power play in the league last night it was so yeah i would say their chances are great well that's it's, it's definitely something that people should start well if they haven't tuned into yet they should definitely start because some of the, cause especially like Bowen Byram, you're not going to be able to see him play in Vancouver for very long because he's going to be gone by the time they can expect this year. That's right. Yeah, even though he's a local guy, would make uh, would make for magic in terms of publicity and all the rest of it. If he's as high up on the rankings, Vancouver Canucks are picking tenth. There's not a chance he's going to be available when their turn comes around, is there? No, he's. If you were to ask me, I say he maybe he's doesn't even come out of the top five i'd say he's going to go four or five maybe Hmm. um that's just my opinion anyways but yeah you'd be very like yeah the canucks would have to trade up in the draft to even get a sniff at him which we'll see anything can happen but most likely it probably won't Right. Okay, Stephen, uh, just before I let you go, and thanks for getting up early to do this with us today, i got to get your, your thoughts on the bouncing in front of the hometown fans. And they would they did their best in the sea of red last night, but the flames are toast as of last night. How about that? Yeah, it's not, not too good for my bracket. I got both of my Stanley Cup finalists are out now. So. <laughs> oh, really? 
Yeah, so I had Tampa Bay and Calgary in the in the final, but that's not looking too good. Um, yeah, Colorado's been awesome to watch. They're, in my opinion, they're one of the most exciting teams in the league. Um, Nathan McKinnon's probably my favorite player to watch in the league. He's just so he's so quick and he's so skilled. It's it's awesome. But I feel for the Calgary fans. We kind of we kind of have the same kind of problem in Vancouver with not quite being able to get the job done with good teams. It's I feel for him. <laughs> yeah, but not too badly. Thanks for yeah, this, not Stephen. Too bad. That's it's right, exactly. After all, it's Calgary. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for this. Great to talk to you this morning. Enjoy tonight's game. Uh, you lucky guy. You at least have a seat already. Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky enough to be able to go to, to all the home games, so I'll be taking advantage of that tonight. Well, enjoy it, and we appreciate this this morning. Thanks, Stephen. Uh- Awesome. Thank you for having me. In April is Parkinson's Awareness Month across Canada, and we're delighted to welcome Dr. Heather Palmer to the program this morning to talk about that. Dr. Palmer is the Director of Cognitive Wellbeing with Amica Senior Lifestyles and joins us from Toronto. Dr. Palmer, good morning. Good morning, Sterling. How are you? I am well, thank you, Doctor, and good to have you with us. What do we need to be most aware of during Parkinson's Awareness Month? Oh, wow, that's a tough question. Uh, I guess the biggest thing to be aware of is if you're noticing any symptoms or have concerns, by all means, always speak to your doctor. And then also know that there is a huge amount that can be done to help manage the symptoms, not just from a pharmacological perspective, but most certainly from a behavioral perspective in terms of supporting people who might be um, struggling or challenged with this disease. Exactly. Now, would you agree with me, Dr. Palmer, that we have become somewhat more aware of Parkinson's in recent years? Absolutely. There there are all kinds of factors that contribute to increased awareness. Um, Michael J. Fox really brought Parkinson's disease to the the sort of uh, the, to the public. That's true. Um, and then since then, there's been great research um, and great uh, work done by the Parkinson societies and other not-for-profits trying to create an awareness, understanding, and of course, research. It's interesting, you know, to note the the role that Michael Fox played in all of this. He's, of course, from Burnaby, right here in, in suburban Vancouver, uh, and uh, uh, because he was such a well-known young man, but nonetheless a star, uh, and all of a sudden here is this very healthy, very popular young man who comes out uh, having a, a strange disease many of us had never frankly heard of before, but because of him uh, and his work uh, communicating what it's like to live with it and all the rest of it, he's established a board. We have one of our, our people here at CKNW in Vancouver who has Parkinson's, who is a member now of Michael Fox's board and just got back from New York. So the kind of work he's doing in terms of spreading the word has really meant a lot, would you not say? Absolutely. I think it's opened up all kinds of conversations and communication and opportunity. What what I'm most impressed with with Michael J. Fox in particular is, you know, that he really exposed himself. He shared some of the vulnerable aspects of the disease, some of the challenges, and most importantly, his optimism and his drive and path forward to help come up with treatments and most importantly, a cure. And that's very much our philosophy at Amica Senior Lifestyles is to have that flexible, individualized approach to really help people with the challenges they're facing, whatever they might be. Mm -hmm. We're speaking with Dr. Heather Palmer in Toronto. She is the Director of Cognitive Wellbeing with Amica Senior Lifestyles, retirement homes across Canada. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, Parkinson's itself, because I think the one thing, if there was one thing Michael Fox succeeded in, in getting 
to us over the years has been, because you have a Parkinson's diagnosis does not mean life is, as you know it, is over. Life indeed goes on. It's different, but it goes on. And that's an important message because not knowing anything about Parkinson's before all of this, we many of us just thought, oh, boy, you get Parkinson's, you're done, that's it, bye. And you're you're so right, Sterling. To me, that's one of the most important messages, and not just for Parkinson's disease. You know, spanning other diseases, uh, dementias, Alzheimer's, cancers. You know that that more optimistic outlook that you know this is the the raw deal I've been dealt, but there's lots that I can do about it, um, and I can continue to live a very full good quality of life filled with purpose and joy and meaning. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, though, let's talk about finding out. Now, this this fellow I was talking about here at the radio station is, uh, I, I think, probably in his 40s, mid-40s, and has been very recently diagnosed, much to his surprise. So what does one, how does one go about finding out that, oh, I've got Parkinson's? I guess I've got Parkinson's. How do you know? Well, it's, it is certainly a tough one. So generally speaking, because it's a degenerative disorder of the central nervous system, it tends to mostly affect the motor system first. So more often what would happen is people will start to notice shakiness in their hands mm-hmm. or tremors. And I, I don't want your audience getting concerned right now because there's lots of other causes and reasons for that. But that would certainly be some of the earlier symptoms that would be worthy of saying to your family doctor, you know what, this is unusual this is new, can we track this or can we, we explore this further to find out what the cause might be? Sure. And so from there, they would typically get referred on to a neurologist. There would be a, a whole bunch of additional tests that would be done to try and determine, you know, what is causing this and if it is in fact Parkinson's disease, what sort of treatments and what can we be doing right now? Because for most people, it's the symptoms and managing the symptoms and the behavioral outcome or the behavioral manifestation of the disease that is really what we want to focus on for that quality of life. Exactly. Now, uh, in addition to the tremors, and, and, and by the way, I meant to ask you this at the beginning, does Parkinson's affect men and women equally, Dr. Palmer, or is it skewed to one sex or the other? It's skewed a little bit more to males over females. Um, and generally speaking, age is also a factor. So as you get older, um, that's going to increase uh, the risk factors for having Parkinson's disease. Okay. And then there's also a very small component of genetics. So for most people, Parkinson's disease is what we call idiopathic, so the cause is unknown. But for a small percentage of the population, there might be a genetic link. So most certainly, if you're showing any of these symptoms and an immediate family member um, has had Parkinson's disease, then that would that would be the impetus for me to want to search a little bit further with my doctor. Interesting. But you just talked a, a moment ago about idiopathic, as in we're not 100% sure where or how you get Parkinson's. True? That is correct. So there, obviously, the, the more we can understand about what the causes are, and the faster we can get to the solution. So at this point in time, there's a variety of hypotheses in terms of what the causes are, which means there's a variety of treatment options um, that that people are exploring um, to try and 
manage the disease itself, but most certainly come up with a cure. Right. So we're, we're not anywhere close to a cure yet, but how are we doing on the management side? It, it appears, uh, again, I have only one local example. I see this fellow uh, on a weekly basis, uh, um, and he's uh, once he's been diagnosed, there's a, a meds program that deals with the tremors, among other things. But uh, he's resigned, I suppose is a good word to use, to a lifetime of management. But you know, He's managing, and that's the key, isn't it? Yeah, and hopefully managing very well. Indeed. um, You know, in addition to the tremors that sometimes the medications or the disease itself might cause, you know, opposite to movement, but a little bit more muscle stiffness or loss of balance. So an increased awareness, being acutely aware of the changes that you might be experiencing um, so that, A, you could hopefully get some medicines or behavioral options to help, but also you can sort of, protect yourself. So if there's a little change in your loss of balance, then you need a more acute awareness to your walking and your gait and your stability because we wouldn't want somebody to then fall and then that causes a whole cascading of other problems, possibly a fracture, et cetera. Sure. Uh, Dr. Palmer, you talked a moment ago about not understanding the cause. Is it, however, contagious if one has Parkinson's? Can, Can that be passed on? It's definitely not contagious, you know, in the in the framework that I consider contagious, like okay. a cold or a flu, yeah. et cetera. Um, but when you use the term passed on, you know, there is that small percentage that may in fact have the genetic mutation that's associated with that. So um, that is something somebody could follow up if they were concerned about and have some genetic tests done. Interesting stuff. Dr. Palmer, thanks very much for this. As, as we leave you uh, to the rest of your Saturday, and we appreciate your giving us a few moments, uh, any final thoughts in terms of April, particularly being Parkinson's Awareness Month, to those of us who are still learning? Well, I think radio shows like this is fantastic, so I'd encourage people to, you know, take an extra few minutes right now to just look up Parkinson's disease um, on the Internet, you know, become a little bit more aware and familiar. And if you encounter somebody who might be having some of these challenges, lend a hand of, of, of love and support to help them with whatever challenges they might be facing. Interesting. Dr. Heather Palmer, thank you so much for this. We appreciate your time. Thank you.